allegorical life. This is the podcast where we discuss the metaphors of life, leadership, and everything in between. Welcome back to another episode of The Allegorical Life. My name's Jordan, and as always, I'm here with Mark Rosweller. By way of introduction, for those of you who don't know Mark, he's worked in crisis, security, and emergency management for over 30 years. His experiences, both personal and professional, have taken him into the world of philosophy, often intersecting with the worlds of theology and mythology. Mark often talks both nationally and internationally about these intersections and how they shape the way we think, speak, and act. He talks about the ways that they can influence both the quality of our leadership and, more importantly, the quality of our lives. Mark, it's great to have you back again. Uh, Now, the theme of our podcast today is the subject of guilt. Now, you've got some really interesting ideas on guilt. So tell me to start with, what are the positive aspects of feeling guilty? So I think one of the positives that comes from guilt is that when it turns up in the mind or in our consciousness, it it's sort of a signal or a flag to say, look, you've probably crossed or you're about to cross a moral boundary. Um, everybody has a moral compass. Everybody has uh, moral boundaries. It's it's actually what defines it. So if we didn't have any morality, if we had the freedom to do whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted to, whoever we wanted without consequence, uh, two things would happen. One is we wouldn't be able to move because there'd just simply be too much choice. So we, we wouldn't be able to to move, we, we would, wouldn't know what to do. But more importantly, we wouldn't know who we were because we are so defined by our morality, by what, what we will and won't accept, what, you know, what, what's right, what's wrong, uh, what's good, what's the greater good. And there's enormous variance in, in uh, humanity, in society about what constitutes those things, but everybody has that. So, so our moral compass is very much a part of who we are and very much a part of how we define ourselves. So when guilt turns up, it sort of says, look, you're about to, you've either crossed or you're about to cross that boundary that helps to define who you are. And most people aren't really conscious of their morality. So they're, they're taught their morality as kids through the church or through school, through, uh, through their parents, through their cultural society. Um, and that becomes quite inherent, an inherent part of who they are, but they're not necessarily conscious of it. So, Guilt has a, is a really good way of saying, look, you're about to cross that boundary or you've just crossed it. You've just, you've just aggrieved yourself uh, and or you've just aggrieved somebody else. And so the, the conscious uh, consciousness or uh, conscience, as it's often described in Western society, kind of knocks on the door and says, are you sure about that? It's showing you something. It's saying, look, there's something here you need to learn. And it'll be about your virtues. It'll be about you know, the need to forgive, about the need to, you know, to um, to seek forgiveness or to grant forgiveness. Um, it'll be a need to be more compassionate. It'll need to be more patient. It'll be one of the virtues that says that, look, you know, here's something you need to learn. The, the problem is that in society we, uh, we're we so averse to thinking about guilt that we don't really understand how it can actually play a positive part in life. But it is it is not a place to dwell it's a signpost. It kind of shows you the lesson and shows you the thing you need to learn, but it's not a place to sit and wallow in. You're listening to the Allegorical Life Podcast. Mark, I love this idea that you have of guilt as a signpost rather than a destination in and of itself. Tell us a little bit more about that. 
Well, I think, um, well, guilt does exactly that. It's a signpost, but it's also, you know, often when you come across a signpost in life uh, or a signpost in the street, take the literal interpretation. Well, it's there because you need to know something. So the reason the sign exists is because it's trying to tell you something. It's trying to, uh, it could be a street sign saying, you know, turn left or turn right or or do not enter. Uh, you know, slow down, whatever the, whatever the sign is, but it's it's trying to it's trying to tell you something, uh, and that thing that it's trying to tell you is uh, for your own good. So, if you come across a sign that says "Do not enter," it's probably because what's beyond the sign is is quite perilous or quite dangerous. So, it's it's for your own benefit that you don't go past the sign. Or if the sign says "Turn left," because that's trying to help you get where you need to go. Or if the sign says "Slow down," it probably it's because you're going too fast. So. So that's why I love the analogy of the signpost because guilt does the same thing. It says, "Look, stop and check. You know, either either don't go there, so it's dangerous. Don't go there, or turn left. You know, don't keep going. Turn left. Slow down. Whatever the case might be." So, guilt sort of as a signpost says, "Look, stop and look. What's what's not what's not quite right here? What's what? Why are you feeling guilty? What you know? What what moral boundary have you broken or crossed or about to cross? How how have you?" aggrieve somebody and in so doing how have you aggrieved yourself and what it really says is that uh, and this is the I think this is the biggest part of guilt is that is it's teaching you to be responsible for yourself so so in one of my previous blogs I talked about you know being the authors of our story and the architects of our life and what I mean by that is that you know life is absolutely full of choice uh, every moment of every day, and in order to have the power of choice, so in order to be able to choose your life, write your story and design it, you have to be responsible for it in every aspect of it. So you've got to be responsible for what you think, what you say, and what you do. Um, and all of those choices will be imperfect, of course. Um, and guilt helps you to stay on track. So when you feel guilty, you know there's an aggrievement that's happened somewhere along the line, and guilt helps you to feel that. It helps you to understand it. It ultimately helps you to take responsibility for it so that you can make another choice which gets you back on track, uh, re-establishes the power in your life uh, and moves you forward. But if you if you see it as a destination rather than a signpost, then it becomes a space in which to wallow. And if you're wallowing in guilt, there's a part of your life that you've refused to take responsibility for. Now, why do you think it is that people have such a hard time moving past guilt? Do you think we've got this innate fear of not being forgiven for something that we th- we feel that we've done? Oh, absolutely. That's part of it. It's a question of confidence. But I think where, where we can start is by, one, forgiving ourselves and, two, for uh, offering uh, to be forgiven. So I know there's been many circumstances in my life where through pride and you know, a degree of hubris and arrogance, those things we all have, um, you know, didn't didn't seek forgiveness and wouldn't admit my contribution to a problem. And then, you know, life would play out in such a way to say, well, you, you actually can't move forward until you clean this up. And uh, there's a very, very clear time in my career where, you know, I was, I was quite, uh, a, co- a colleague and I were sort of, you know, in, in, I guess in bitter dispute over a number of years professionally. and uh, And it was having quite a, quite an impact on my career progression. And I remember somebody saying to me, really, it was quite striking, actually. They said, look, Mark, we know you and so-and-so just don't get on and never will. And we were both very very senior people in you know, in an organisation that, that was watched by many people. You know, we led many people. We were visible to many people. And it really hit, struck me that 
crikey, that's you know that's profound, really. And 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 I, I found it quite upsetting actually. And I think the reason I found it upsetting is because it was true. Uh, I was contributing to the circumstance. So so I went to his office a couple of days later, and I sat down and I apologised to him. I said, "Look, I'm I am genuinely sorry for the grief I caused you, and you know the manner of which I perceived you, and." so on and so forth, and, you know, I hope in time you will forgive me and I'll give you a commitment that, you know, I'll work with you and I'll navigate through these complexities and let's see if we can make this better than how it's been in the past. Now, I had no idea whether he was going to accept that or not. And to be truthful, Jordan, he actually initially didn't accept it. He thought it was rhetoric. and um, But it didn't matter because I meant it and it was a solemn commitment on my behalf. And so... So irrespective of whether he accepted that or not, I was committed to that path and I was committed for him and I was also committed for myself because I realised that until I cleaned that thing up, neither he nor I could move forward. And as a, as a you know, progressively compassionate human being, I realised that the, the success I wanted, I also wanted for him. So why, why would I rob him of his opportunity to be successful, uh, you know, at the cost of me being successful? That just doesn't make sense. And so we were stuck in a paradigm. So, so ultimately, it, um, I liberated myself from that circumstance, but more importantly, I liberated him. We get on really well now. We're not friends. I don't need, I've got enough friends. I don't need any more. But we're both liberated from the circumstance. He's doing really well. I'm doing really well. And we can have a very sensible professional conversation about anything and everything, really, and we just get on with life. So, so, so you're right, Jordan. So it's a question of confidence, and sometimes we fear that people won't forgive us. But I don't think that's actually the point. I think the point is with forgiveness that we actually liberate ourselves. So by accepting that we are, at least in part, you know, the authors of our story, the architects of our life, the causes of our circumstance through the choices that we make, and we take responsibility for that, uh, we give ourselves a chance to liberate ourselves from from lack of forgiveness. And it's only, it's only arrogance and pride and ex-worldly view that prevents us from doing that. And I think once we give those things up, I think forgiveness becomes possible. And at the end of the day, it's an incredibly liberating experience. And whether that other person ultimately forgives you or not kind of isn't the point. It's nice if they do that, but it may not be possible for them. But the mere fact that you offer it with sincerity and integrity and you commit to a new path and you commit to atone or to release, then your life absolutely gets better. to the Allegorical Life Podcast. Mark, talk to us a little bit more about the paradox of guilt and punishment that you've written about. Guilt and punishment uh, are certainly a paradox and they certainly go hand in hand and I think principally for two reasons, that, um, you know, we do contribute to the causes of our suffering. So whether that be 1% or 99%, we are a contributor to the causes, and um, and often we fail to take responsibility for that. So uh, when we fail to take responsibility or acknowledge that through either something we did or didn't say, think, or do, created or, or contributed to causes which created circumstances, when we don't understand that or we don't take responsibility for that, um, we tend to blame, we tend to place that um, on somebody else. And... When we do that, so blame invokes anger and anger invokes a level of toxicity in the mind. And what we want to do is on some level harm that person. So we get frustrated, so we either want to yell at them or think badly of them 
you know, all the way through to, you know, physical violence really and, and uh, even worse things in the most uh, extreme circumstances. But when our mind goes there, the toxicity is all within our mind. It's not outside. So because we abrogate, because we don't fully understand that we contribute to causes and then we seek to blame others, we get a toxicity in our mind and then we want to punish and it just gets worse. Um, when we act on that, we ultimately we feel guilty. Over time, our conscience says, look, wrong thing to do. And so we've gone from punishment to guilt. And uh, if, you, if we sort of stopped and reflected on that and started at the, you know, right at the front end and said, well, hang on, if I was a contributor, then I can't really blame anybody else, not in full at least. Um, I've got to take responsibility for my part of the cause. Therefore, I have to accept that I'm fallible and therefore I have to accept that I probably have to give forgive myself for, for that absence or the presence of something that I did or didn't think say or do. Um, and when I get to that point or when we get to that point, we can actually grant that to the other person because they're going through the same experience. So, you know, whatever they've done that we perceive has caused us grief, it's probably on some level caused them grief as well. So they're going through the same experience probably. Um, so I think it's really important to, to understand that we do contribute to causes and in so doing we're fallible or imperfect and in so doing, you know, we, we owe it to ourselves to forgive ourselves for that and also to forgive others because they're probably in the same position. And I, and I think to extend that a little bit further is to also to commit to getting better. So how, how do you actually commit to try not to make that mistake again or learning from that experience as opposed to blaming people? Because the two things do, uh, do end up causing us quite a bit of grief. There are some circumstances, of course, where we're not the co contributor. And it always, um, always f find it important to make this point that there are some um, circumstances in life where we simply do not contribute to causes, but they arise anyway. And, and the two uh, very sad things in society, I think, is abuse towards children and domestic violence are probably two quite striking examples. And often what happens there is that the individual takes on a whole lot of responsibility um, because society, you know, has a, has a lot of a lot of misnomers about this, about deservedness and about punishment from God and all those sort of things, especially for kids. And um, I think what tends to happen is that for those people that they simply don't have the skills to, to avoid or navigate away from or out of that suffering or those causes. And, and, and what they do is they take it on anyway. So they take it on as a internal blame or internal responsibility without fully appreciating or understanding that it just simply wasn't possible, either as a child or an adult really in certain circumstances to have the skills to navigate out. And so the forgiveness has to start with self. It has to, it really has to start with the individual to say, look, it's just not possible to navigate out of those things as a young child or as a, as a vulnerable person and, and the, the suffering is never deserved, but, but uh, don't take it on yourself at all. You know, it's, it's just forgive yourself for the not having the skills, understanding that you could never have had them to start with. And um, I think that liberates people a bit. Certainly a, a good friend of mine went through this in her childhood, uh, suffered uh, child abuse for, for a number of years, probably about 10 or 12 years from the age of about three to the age of about 15. And um, she liberated herself by understanding that, that she had to forgive herself for those things that she simply did not possess which was the skills and the understanding and the knowledge to one, know that the thing that was happening was wrong and two, to navigate away from it or out of it 
or to avoid it. She just simply didn't have the skills. And so she carried the burden of guilt for a long, long time. And she eventually came to realise that the first person she had to forgive was herself for those things that were simply an absence. And um, once she did that, she just became a much happier person. Um, the process for her became a daily ritual, of course, because um, those memories kept coming back. But she found a way of navigating out of them by forgiving herself for, you know, those things that she simply couldn't have foreseen or had the skills to navigate. So I think that's the paradox, Jordan, that that guilt and punishment do go hand in hand. The vast majority of circumstances, we are contributors. I think we have to accept that and take responsibility. That that involves having to forgive ourselves for the things we did or didn't say, think or do. And then understanding that those who have aggrieved us have probably travelled the same road and we should forgive them for the same reason. Mark, to say I'd been carrying around some guilt for a while and I just wanted to unburden myself and move on. Tell me what are five easy steps that I could take to get into a better place? I think um, I think the first thing is stop and check. So guilt saying, look, stop, have a look, check. Have you have you stepped over your moral compass? Are you about to step over your moral compass? Uh, are you about to aggrieve someone or do you feel aggrieved? And if so, why? Um, I, I think that's really important to do that. So guilt's trying to show you something. The second thing I'd say is take responsibility for the circumstance. So whatever's causing you grief, you have contributed towards, uh, you, you've made a contribution um, towards that. It could be 1%, it could be 99%, but on some level you've made a contribution. Now, the exclusion I say to that is, you know, the little kids who have been uh, abused or what have you, or even adults for that matter, that find themselves in circumstances to which there is no contribution. So there's always exceptions. But even in that circumstance, as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, um, the lesson there is to free oneself of, of a false feeling of guilt. So the responsibility still exists, but it, it exists in the context of getting rid of um, that that, uh, that sense in the first place. But leaving that aside, take responsibility. Take the lesson. It's a lesson of virtue. It will be a lesson around patience or forgiveness or kindness or compassion or love, uh, justice. Uh, those sort of virtues will come up. Um Recommit. So take the lesson and then choose a different path and say, you know, okay, the lesson here is to be more patient or the lesson here is to be more compassionate. That's what I'll commit to. So every next time that circumstance arises, I'll be more patient. Or next time that circumstance arises, um, you know, I'll be more compassionate. And then you'll start to liberate yourself from the suffering. Uh, and then move forward and keep going. You know, keep going. It, it will probably turn up again the lesson will probably reappear. And next time it does, we're more skillful at how we deal with it. I mean, Aristotle always said that, you know, wisdom was a lifelong process, a process of phronesis. And, and that meant that, you know, all of your life circumstances were ultimately to teach you about virtue. Um, and, and, to you know, to take that, and the Buddha said the same thing, that any adverse circumstance that arises that would otherwise cause you to feel guilty or to be aggrieved and not, and not forgive uh, was simply an opportunity to learn the virtues of life. And the quicker they were learnt, uh, the, the less the less negatively affecting those experiences would be, and ultimately you'd become a master of them. So they're definitely lifelong processes, Jordan. And you know, as I say in most of my podcasts and most of my blogs, these answers exist in the great theologies and mythologies um, and and philosophies. You know, they're just littered with these examples and and touch points about how to navigate such complexity, you know, through guilt and ultimately to forgive people and. And the strongest symbol of that is that is that Christian symbol of forgiveness. That if you you know I, I'm a Buddhist, but I often talk about the 
you know, the, the life of, of Christ. And, you know, he was a 33-year-old man. If you, if you sort of you know, really think about it, a very, very young man who took on the burden of the world. And, and he was accused of everything that we get upset about every day. So, you know, he was accused of, uh, you know, um, aggrieving others of, of all sorts of things. What, what, you know, they threw things at him. They, they threw abuse at him. They accused him of all sorts of things. And he had to take all of that on. Uh, and, you know, we on some level have to do that every day. But he got to the end of his life to the moment of his death. Uh, and he, and there's these wonderful words. He said, you know, forgive the Father for they know not what they do. And and uh, I, f- I always found that really quite powerful as an analogy because what he was saying was that people had acted out of unconsciousness. They were simply not conscious of how much harm they were causing themselves and how much harm they were causing other people, that they just were out of control, they were ignorant, they were arrogant, they were hubristic. Uh, they didn't know what they were doing. They were, you know, all of those things played out in such a way that, that ignorance was 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 of of the primacy of their minds. And despite all of that, he he left the symbol of forgiveness, and he said, "But that, you know, I forgive you. You, you. You're forgiven." So, as I said, I'm not a, I'm not a Christian, uh, at least not by institutional in an institutional sense. And I've always found that lesson in that religion incredibly powerful to say that despite what was thrown at that young man. And everything that was said about him, everything they did to him, he got to the end of his life and he could still forgive. So if someone can experience every aggrievement that you and I experience, uh, you know, walk, walking that journey to the, you know, I think the Catholics call it the Stations of the Cross, and still forgive people at the end of it, well, it's a pretty powerful lesson. And I think that's why 2,000 years later it's still a prominent part of society, the Christian symbol of forgiveness, because it's so important to humanity. It's so incredibly important. Um, I think we, I think the way we view religions these days, and perhaps the way religions uh, administer and conduct themselves, probably robs us of that simple reflection. I think I think we get too caught up in the politics and and the other uh, the other conversations we have in society about institutionalised framings. But but nonetheless, the symbol still sits there as pure as it was the day that it happened. For whether you're a Buddhist or a Muslim or a Christian or a Jew or an atheist, it doesn't really matter. Take the symbol. The symbol's really important. You know, you, you don't have to be belong to the in-group uh, to understand what the symbol is in that faith. And uh, you know, I think it's one of the most powerful symbols of Christian thought and Christian philosophy that we could uh, we could reflect upon. Thanks for joining us today on The Allegorical Life. If you're enjoying our podcast, you might like to add a review on iTunes and that'll help other people find us as well. Thank you, and we hope to have you with us again soon.